Hello, and welcome to the Security Serengeti Podcast, where we keep you up to date on the latest in cybersecurity news. I'm David. And I'm Matthew. Each week, we'll bring you in-depth analysis and expert opinion on the biggest threats facing businesses and individuals in the online world. From data breaches to online scams, we'll cover it all and provide practical tips and advice on how to stay safe online. So join us on the Security Serengeti as we navigate the wilds of the digital landscape and keep you one step ahead of the hackers. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. So that was a chat GPT written intro. Uh, I'm pretty sure that it actually used our podcast as a source, given there are several things in there that are very close to our standard intro. Uh, the prompt was, please write a podcast intro for a security news podcast called The Security Serengeti. The intro should be read by two people, David and Matthew. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good, actually. I actually like the line about the navigate navigating the wilds of the digital landscape. I think we might keep that one. Actually, I and actually, and it says keep you one step out of the hackers. I actually would prefer keep you one step out of the lions or something. Oh yeah, because I like going with the yeah. I mean, we can definitely mold that in. So I also asked ChatGPT to write us a joke for the podcast. It didn't quite understand the prompt, but here's the best of what it gave us. Just remember, if chat GPT starts talking about taking over the world, it's probably time to unplug it. Here are the rejected AI uh, chat GPT jokes. Why was the AI security expert kicked out of the chat room? Because it kept trying to chat GPT in. I, I don't get that one. <laughs> I don't understand it. <laughs> maybe, maybe you have to be an, ape, uh, an AI to think it's funny. Why did the AI engineer bring chat GPT to the bar? It wanted to get chatty with the patrons. That's like, a, I, 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 oh, that's bad. That's so bad. Uh, the, the one before it is a little bit better. Uh, you know, why did the chat GPT uh, go to the AI conference? To learn how to become even more intelligent. Oh, no, this makes my brain hurt. You know, that actually would have been funnier if instead of, you know, because AI is artificial intelligent, it would have been yeah. funnier if it would have said so uh, to become really intelligent. Mm, to, yeah, real. Ooh, that would have been better. Yeah, no, that would have been better. At See, least I'm a better AI than jokes. Yeah, at least there's something that uh, we do better than the AIs. <laughs> well, that's arguable. Uh, I actually, this makes me want to go and write a complete uh, comedy routine via chat GPT and then go to like a uh, amateur stand up night. <laughs> just read them out like I'm serious. <laughs> All right, I was thinking so, you could automate the writing of a comedy book <laughs> and have it sold on Amazon. Actually, that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a whole plethora of like automatically generated books on it. Because if it costs nothing to create, then you can use like the self-publishing platforms. Like every time they're published, every time they're printed, or, or uh, even a digital book. Yeah, and that way next time we. We start the podcast, you can say, you know, I'm Matt Keener, author of such books as. <laughs> That's true. All right. <laughs> author of five books. So chat GPT is the chat-based front end for GPT-5, 3.5, a language model trained to produce text. GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. I'm sure that obvious. everybody listening to this now knows exactly what it is. Uh, but basically it's just a chat front end. Everybody's been talking about it for the last couple of weeks since it was released on November 30th. And I finally got some time to sit down and play with it a little bit and uh, read up on it. And I am so excited, despite the fact Magical. that it's absolutely terrible for writing jokes and writing summaries. So, so what is it good for, Matt? What is it good for? So I broke this out into three areas. How can this be used in information security? How can this be used in industry in general? How can this be used against us? And then some kind of final thoughts at the end. So how can we use it in the information security industry? The first and most obvious one is the tier one analyst duties. We've discussed this before in the past, how tier one analyst in the SOC is a dying job. It's going to go oh, the way of the dodos eventually. Yeah. A lot of it can be automated away via SOAR, but SOAR tends to be very inflexible. So this is going to add some of that flexibility back in there. Uh, you're going to be able to take a uh, large language model or maybe a more narrowly trained type of model, point it at all of the tier one tickets that have been done over the last five years, 
and then tell it to take care of the, all the tickets that match those conditions going forward. And just boom, like 80% of your tickets will disappear. Sounds like magic. That may be an exaggeration. I don't know what the actual percentage is, but <laughs> there are a lot of repeated tickets on a sock. Uh, so you're just going to be able to take all of those out. Uh, identifying actually, oh. no, now that I think about you talk about the tier one and everything. Uh, it would be really helpful for an AI uh, to be able to help you adjust your false positive uh, alerts. You know, if you have one alert that fires, you open a ticket on it, you investigate it, and it gets closed. And the reason it gets closed is for this reason, this reason, this reason, or whatever. Uh, maybe you could feed the AI the alert, the false positive explanations, and it could recommend, hey, you need to adjust the alert in this way in order to reduce oh, your false positive Oh, no, that's positive a good rate. one. No, that's a good one. Because that's something right now that I have seen has been a problem everywhere that I've worked in the SOC. Uh, tier one analysts closing alerts as false positives, but not reporting them or not putting enough information in them for a sim engineer or for a tool engineer to actually whitelist it or well, you know, figure out what exactly needs to be changed. Well, that's the problem with most, the way that most socks handle uh, false positives and actually closure codes in general for incidents. Because uh, you really should have like uh, just a couple of basic closure codes, you know, uh, you know, close true positive, you know, so that's turned out to be an actual incident. Uh, closed no threat, which means, you know, you're not going to adjust the alert. It's still a good alert, but the context behind the alert was, um, yeah, this particular one was fine. right. was not yep. malicious. Yep. Uh, and then false positive, which means you need to adjust the alert and fix yep. it. And then informational for informational alerts and the false positive one that needs to be, or should be filled, um, Cycled back into yeah. the content development process yep. in order to fix the false positive nature of the event. But most people will close them uh, false positive, and then the, the the fix for why it was a false positive actually doesn't get done, or they don't have the close no threat category, so they close everything as either true positive or false positive, and then nothing gets fixed. Yeah. And uh, I think the biggest problem there is that if those analysts don't provide the data for the false positives, what happens is the content team goes in there and they look, they're like, all right, it just says false positive and they've got to reconstruct the search and et cetera, et cetera. So, right. Or they don't have time and they just don't do it. Yep. Because it's not like they don't have a job to do either. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's both a leadership problem and it's a, a tier one analyst problem. So anyways, uh, next item. Identifying vulnerabilities. This one's from Anagra SR. Uh, he wrote, well, he compiled a list of all kinds of stuff that people on Twitter had talked about. So it'll be in the show notes. You should 100% go check out this article because I'm not listing everything off on there because there was a ton of stuff in there. But apparently ChatGPT can find vulnerabilities in code. No idea how good at it it is. Uh, but given how poorly it wrote our summaries last episode, I don't know. Although it seems to be better at code than summaries. That would make sense because code is much more certain than, you know, English language summaries. Much more structured. Yeah. Well, I think a good a good test would be uh, if you were going to actually attempt to implement this, would be able to take code snippets from legit code that you have, run it through a SAS tool, a static analysis tool, and run it through the chat and see uh, what the outputs are to see if they both catch the same thing or if one catches more than the other to figure out which is actually the better um, uh, one to choose. That makes sense. Yeah, we definitely, I, I imagine there's probably people that are doing direct comparisons at this point to try and figure that out. I hope so, because if chat is like 10, even 10% better, that's a big deal. And yeah. plus, you don't have you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> uh, yet. Um, whereas yeah. a SAS tool, you obviously have to pay. Yeah. From the, but the example, one thing about, sorry. Uh, the one thing about the fact that you're using the chat though, it's not built into code workflows like SAS tools are though. Uh, so that, that is something that you would have to work out uh, if it was significantly better than SAS tool. How do you get that built into your developer workflows or your code pipelines? Yeah. Uh, cause that is building into the, Pipeline seems important because apparently it does seem like it needs the code. Uh, there was, I saw later, somebody on Twitter asked it to scan a site and it refused. So you have to provide it with the code at this point, but I'm sure at some point there'll be a version that'll go directly to the website. Yeah. 
So static analysis today, dynamic tomorrow. Oh. Uh, writing automation scripts. This is from Yosef A. Mohammed. Uh, they asked ChatGPT to create a bash script to discover subdomains, check if they're live or dead, then take a screenshot and run Deerbuster against them. And I actually want to use this script. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. Uh, and and I, I had a chance to test it a little bit. I had it create a couple of scripts for me, although I didn't have a chance to run and validate they work correctly. Uh, and I know we saw some AI programming assistance a couple of years ago, where as you program, it'll suggest, you know, what to put in next. It'll suggest, you know, modules to use and stuff like that, which is really interesting. Uh, but it doesn't, I don't think it replaces programmers yet. These were all fairly simple scripts and you also need someone to debug it as well. You can't just, you know, take it out and expect that it just works. And I'm not sure if this makes programming easier or harder. If it just works, then obviously it makes scripting very much easier. If it doesn't just work though, it actually probably makes it harder because then you have to debug and figure out what it's doing. Um, so David and I were actually talking about before this for more complicated scripts, it may be better to have it write each individual function. And actually right before this, I told it to write a Python script that'll read in a text file full of domain names, one per line and store them in a list variable. And about 15 seconds later, it came up with that function. Uh, that is obviously not a difficult function. It would have taken a couple minutes to write in Python, but it did it in 15 seconds. And if you can just tell it, you know, I need this function, I need this function, I need this function, I need this function. And then you can stick them in, then you define the functions and stick them in there and, and line up the inputs and outputs. Uh, you could do some pretty impressive scripting, I think, with this. I don't know. I'm thinking about some possibilities to add complexity to that to see if it would uh, be able to handle it. Because if you were to say, hey, take this list and I want you to create a class object and I want the class object to have attributes based on the length of the domain name and the hmm. um, top level domain and see if it's able to do something like that. That would be interesting to see the level of complexity that it actually understands with Python and how it works. Yeah. And, and if it understands APIs and stuff, like for example, if I wanted to tell it to take that list of domains and then reach out to passive total and pull down domain information for each of them, and then, you know, search for commonalities in domain registrars, like that's probably too complicated. I don't know if it would understand how to interact with the API. Like would it ask you for an API key and just work or like, there's definitely like a level of complexity where it can write the script pretty seamlessly. And then there's going to be a level where it gets too complicated or starts reach starts reaching to things where it doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. But I'm uh, definitely planning on that's what, that's what I'm going to be using this for for the next couple of weeks is I'm going to start trying to have it write simple and then more and more complicated scripts. And I'm wondering if you can't use this as just kind of like a hint generator almost to say, mm, you know, if you get yeah. stuck on a problem, say you don't know how to solve, you know, to get to the solution that you're looking for, maybe you can just ask it, hey, I'm trying to do this thing. Uh, what's the best way to do it? And maybe it'll just come up with some ideas and you can say, oh, well, this makes me think of this. And then um, it gets you no, over that's your, a, your writer's that's block. A, or whatever. That's a really good one, actually, because that happens to me all the time. I'm a super an experienced and novice programmer. I'm like, I know what I want to do. I don't know how to do it in Python. So asking it to write it, like, let's say that I don't know how to use, how to access a JSON file using Python. I could say, chat GPT, please write me a function that accesses all of the elements in a JSON object or something, or, and then and just at least see like, oh, it imports, you know, the JSON package and it does this and it steps through the JSON object like this. So that's right. a good one. Could be yeah. handy. Yeah. Uh, I can also do pattern detection. Shabam Shah uh, fetted a list of subdomains and asked it for patterns. And it spit out a bunch of things like a number of these have uh, food in the subject and stuff like that. It was very interesting. Um, oh. Yeah, I wonder if you could use that, feed that, a, uh, you know, let's say if you knew an APT used these five domains or something like that, if you could say, feed it those five domains, say, 
look for a pattern in these five domains, then go through domain tools and see yeah. if you can find similar domains uh, related to this, or maybe you could just feed it to, because uh, you could not, maybe you could use not just the domain names, but also the information from domain tools about those domains. Yeah, the registrars, domains. where they're yeah. being, the, uh, yeah, where they're being hosted on. Uh, yeah, say, like find that. me a pattern here uh, well, and see what other domains are out there so you can kind of preempt possibly the identification of uh, maliciously owned domains. Well, what I'd want to do is I would want to combine three of the things that we've talked about. This pattern detection, plus the ability to write scripts and automation, plus the like deer buster and enumerate subdomains and passive total or domain tools. Combine all of those, write a script that will pull down all the information you want to you, you want to look at for those domains and format them correctly and then look at patterns in that data. Uh, yeah, like where it's hosted, what all the subdomains are, um, what all the directories are, because you may find like, oh, it's all hosting the same malware kit or three of these are hosting the same malware kit. Yeah. You know what you could do with that? Have it write a Spunk app. Hmm. Yeah. So have all take all that stuff and have it write a Splunk app that sticks that stuff into a macro or a lookup or something that you can leverage in Splunk. Interesting. So you know what? There is an API for this. So yeah, you could you could write the scripts with it and then connect it to the API to feed the output to the thing so you don't have to like copy and paste it into the chat. I wonder if it understands its own API. If you wrote, hold on, I'm actually going to ask it. Connect to yourself. Can you write me a script to connect to GPT-3's API to submit uh, requests? How uh, long does this usually take? It just certainly. Here is a script that demonstrates how to use the open API library to connect to GPT-3 and submit requests. Is it in Python? Uh, import open API. Oh, you know what? I didn't say Python. Just say it does look like Python. Um, it gives me a dictionary to set the parameters. Tells me uh, that I have to shows me how to set the API key. Use the model engine DaVinci, and then it gives me the full response in print response.txt. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, nice. So because you've asked it about Python a few times, has it yeah, learned that you're think... interested in Python then, and doesn't provide that back in C or Java or anything like that? Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. Um, it did mention that it is aware, so you can ask it like follow up questions, and it'll go back and use what it talked about before. So I'm actually excited. I may do this. This may be my project. Uh, anyways, uh, so also it can deobfuscate JavaScript, um, which uh, was from Pwn Function was the person who mentioned that. But that's that's cool. Uh, there's lots of other ways to deobfuscate JavaScript, but that's a cool one. Um, I was doing it manually a couple weeks ago. Uh, now I can do this. Well, it I can, mean, there's a lot mm -hmm. of things that are obfuscated, um, you know, in malware and stuff, 64-bit encoding and things cool. like that. So don't even get me um, started on that. There's a lot of things that are obfuscated that are not malware. Uh, a couple of my, well, like two yeah. years ago, I uh, watched some hunting thing and they were talking about obfuscated. Uh, you can go hunting for, you know, base 64 encoded PowerShell. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go find that in my environment. And I looked everywhere. it up. It's everywhere. And it's all benign stuff. Like, oh my God. Hmm. Why? Yeah, you're not doing anything special there, buddy. <laughs> you don't need to hide it. <laughs> um, it can also decode regex and it can create regex. So the decode was in the thing, but I was like, huh, I wonder if it can do the opposite. So I asked it for a dead simple regex, uh, pull a domain from an email. I was like, all right, simple test. Boom, got it. I then asked it for the regex to pull all domains from a list. Now, you can't really do that with regex, uh, but it was smart enough to, actually, I bet you could, but it'd be really complicated. It was smart enough that it created the simple regex statement. Then it created a script to go ahead and ingest um, a list of domains and then pull, or email addresses and pull the domains. I, so I was actually impressed. I wonder if it would be smart enough if you told, if you fed it a list of email addresses and said, hey, pull out all the all the emails in here which belong to servers accounts and not people or uh, hmm. something like that. And you could do yeah. that for usernames. That um, seems that seems like it would something need something like that. It would need some input on what a service account looks like compared to a human oh, account. Oh, actually, now that I think about it, 
if you're in a big enough organization, they will have a document which outlines server naming criteria. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. you could use this to tell you in plain English automatically what a server's function is or who owns the server based on the structure of the service name. But but or the server have, name. That is hard won knowledge from the years of looking at server names and knowing, <laughs> all right, this means this. So what you're saying is you're old and replaceable, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so because I've worked here five years, I know what this means rather than uh, you know what though? Actually that's actually that's a, no, that's a great point about tribal knowledge. Because right now, when somebody works for a company for five or ten years mm -hmm. and then leaves, it's all gone. But that's actually you really interesting. Replace them with an AI. I, not replace, but if there's just an like, if you've got a company AI that's like watching everything that everybody's doing, you should be able to get that kind of context on just about anything. Yeah, it could be the gray beard for the sock. <laughs> I'm still replaceable. Yeah, yeah you give it a name like Donnie. Hey, <laughs> I don't know. Ask Donnie. He'll tell you. <laughs> Uh, all right, so onward. Uh, I can create CTF questions. Ayub uh, Bathy asked it to create a test. Uh, asked it to create a script that had a cross-site vulnerability scripting. Uh, cross-site scripting vulnerability. Um, it can convert tools between programs, uh, programming languages. Tibangshu asked it to, you know, convert a Python program to a Go program. You know, it'd be nice if we'd use this in order to convert. Um... Windows games to Mac instead of hoping that some developer will create the <laughs> Mac version along with the Windows version. Yeah, that would be interesting. I wonder, again, like this comes down to how complicated is it? I think converting from one language to another would be easier than writing a more complicated, but yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, if you think about it, Python was able to do two to three, right? To convert mostly, it wasn't perfect. Uh, but convert Python 2 code to Python 3 code. Uh, so I think it's at least feasible that you could create a general AI, or maybe uh, not a general AI, but a specific AI to do nothing but Windows to Mac uh, software conversions. Yeah, seems doable. Uh, Run it through a QA, and bam, you're done. Charge an extra 10 bucks because Mac people got a bunch of money. <laughs> and then you're off to the races. Uh, you could also use it for writing reports, although I'll be honest, given the failures of the summaries we saw before, this one's going to be tricky. You're just not going to be able to trust the report. Uh, although I could see if you had a template and you had the data, a more narrowly trained AI should be able to smash them together pretty easily. That's how it happens mentally in my head. It's just Oh, that just made me think of the, uh, <laughs> the Portal 2 joke about, uh, we're not just knocking rocks here together. Science. <laughs> We know how to take a man apart and put him back together. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Uh, oh, that's such a great game. It is such a great game. So how can this be? We talk, Those were all the, I had nine ideas, uh, some of which I stole from other people, um, and, but we elaborated on many of them. Uh, those are our ideas from the information security industry. How can this be used for, in, for industry in general? Um, this one is comes to me because Daniel Meisler has been talking about it for a long time. And one of the big problems right now is finding exactly what you're looking for. There's too much out there. There's both too much content and there's too much wrong content. And there's so much advertising and clickbait that's poisoned the web that frequently when you search for something you're trying to find, it's not even in the first page of search results. Training an AI on the types of information you want to see and find and then using something like ChatGPT to summarize it for you, I think is going to be a valuable service. Well, I think it could also be used to improve, you know, so if you're really good at leveraging Google to do searches, you can have a pretty specific search because you're like, include this, exclude that, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it takes a while and a, a relative amount of experience leveraging Google in that way to come up with a well-crafted Google search to narrow your results. Yeah. So maybe you could use this chat function simp simply to improve what your Google search is. Yeah. I was more thinking uh, in terms of content, but that's a, no, that's, that's definitely a good one you can do. So for example, I have hundreds of podcasts in my podcast feed. I subscribe to like two or three dozen podcasts. I don't like every podcast that is released on those feeds. 
And right now I have to basically skim it and be like, oh, this looks interesting. I'll listen to this. And eh, this is boring. Or I'll start something and be like, oh, this is really crap. I don't know why I listen to this. If there was an <laughs> AI, well, an AI should be able to look at that history. Like, which ones did I finish? Which ones did I not finish? Which ones mm-hmm. did I leave in the middle? Uh, and then do better recommendations based on, you know, you've listened to like 70% of the episodes from this particular podcast and it's on these three subjects, which you've listened to a hundred percent of in the past, like bubble it to the top of my list. Right. That's good. Uh, and you should be able to do that with RSS feeds too. Uh, I've got RSS feeds out the wazoo because, you know, oh, um, I mean, yeah. I mean, even, even Definitely. for <laughs> look at, look at our, look at our RSS feed. For yeah. the podcast, we've got like a thousand plus in the InfoSec ones because we're, right. but we typically pick from a couple different places and we typically pick from a couple different subjects and a good AI should be able to review that and bubble up the stuff that's interesting to the top. Yeah, so. that is definitely good right there. The RSS feed. Yeah. Yeah. Because every, because every RSS feed is trying to drop like a hundred articles a week because they're just like more and more and more. And most of it's crap that's written probably by AI already. Right. Because if you could do that, it could bubble that up to the top. And there might be four other articles relating to that. Because mm-hmm. often when we do this, um, we'll find an article that's relating to a subject. Then we'll find articles about the same subject from two or three other different sources that have just a yeah. little bit different information in it. That's, <laughs> that's like relative. 90% the same. <laughs> right. Uh, so the AI might be able to tease out those relationships also uh, to get better information. On the well, actually, your point about that is once you can, because once you can do that, you can write better summaries because it can, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if it can find four or five articles about, because, you know, it struggled writing a summary of one thing, it felt like it went out to more stuff. Uh, so yeah, if it can, if it can reach out to four or five or six articles and then write a better summary and pull in all the different pieces of information from all of them. Right. Uh, so, yeah. <clears throat> yep. So this is, this. And, I'm sorry. And if this were included in IMDb, you could easily oh, find the yes. movie or the TV episode you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, and just for instance, right before this episode, or before we started recording, I tried to find an episode of the second, the, the new Outer Limits about a painter in post-apocalyptic world that had this AI that went crazy on him, and I couldn't find it, uh, yeah. Googling for it. I, uh but if you were able to say, hey, you know, this is what I'm looking for, uh, the AI should be able to spit back, uh, hopefully, something close to the answer you want. Second uh, use in industry in general, AI assistant. This one's also from Daniel Meisler. Uh, businesses used to have a lot of administrative assistance. They took care of organizing meetings, uh, keeping the office going, you know, um, acting as go-betweens and keeping 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 the businesses running. Actually... Um, um, a lot of those, they used to have typing pools, uh, and they had a secretarial pool, but when the, per- when the, uh, personal computer came along and you could put a computer on everyone's desk, a lot of those jobs went away because they had, they replaced them with these computers that the executives would do this on their own. So executives used to farm out work to people in the secretarial pool or the administrative assistants or whatever yeah. to do this work rather than doing it themselves. They could spend more time oh. actually doing business work. Yeah, um, but they but they but now they farm it out to the low-level analysts and junior consultants. <laughs> well, kind of, because I've actually talked to um, or had CEOs tell me before, I don't read email. Uh, <laughs> I, I had one CEO tell me that straight out. I don't read email. I had another C, uh, uh, not CEO, C, uh, another CISO tell me, I don't read email. I had another one say, unless in your subject line, you say it's for my action, I won't read it. Um, <laughs> so when you get to that level, those people actually need AI because they can't even function, really. Because um, so much information is exchanged in email. And if they're not even reading their emails, then, you know, forget about it. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. though. They're getting tons and tons of emails. Uh The reason that I said that is because actually when I was working, I guess I shouldn't say where, one of the companies that I worked for in the past as a junior consultant, uh, I spent a lot of time being the administrative assistant for senior managers. Well, that was because the skirt you were in. (laughs) I look good in it. 
Um, anyways, so soon somebody's going to fold all of that up into a product that will set it all up for you. Uh, like right now, like Outlook is really good. It's pretty good, but it still is like sometimes a five minute activity to find, you know, your VP is like, Hey, let's have a meeting about it. You know, Matthew, set it up. And now I've got to go and I've got to find the right time on their calendar. I have to, uh, get all the agenda set up and get everything and, and then make sure we have everybody, et cetera, et cetera. And then, then you get the, I can't make it this time. We have to go back and forth, blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. this one instead, you could just say, Ennisby, set up a virtual meeting between David and I at our first available time during business hours. Agenda is making our podcast more awesomer and let the AI handle it for you. And if it doesn't work out, then the AI could be set to just automatically schedule it at the next first available time where both of you are available. Right. Well, you could also add parameters too to say uh, within the next week mm. or something like that. Because yeah. uh, then the AI could come back with an error saying, hey, there's nothing available. Yeah. In which case, then you both have to say, okay, well, I can skip this meeting or something Actually, like that. I, I, what I would love to see is for them to put a priorities on the meetings. So you can be like, which uh, are my highest priority meetings? Although people would, of course, take advantage of that. They're like, my meetings are all the highest priority. But yeah. Well, I think you should rate the when you accept. That's when the, the like, you can mm-hmm. rate it. Yeah. But right I'm now you've got low. two options, uh, yeah. except and tentative. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and that's it. Instead of being ep- actually, because I don't know how many times I've actually been like triple or quadruple booked and I'm just like, oh, what do I feel like? Uh, I think I'll take the second one because I really don't want to listen to this guy talk or something like that, which is probably terrible. Um, but if you're able to set up and, you don't really set that up necessarily based on um, the individual meeting. But if you're able to, like, I use Outlook on the Mac. And the awesome thing about Outlook on the Mac is categorization. So I tag everything. Hmm. Now, if I'm able to, to prioritize my my categories in Mac email to say, these are my top 10 categories or whatever, everything, this is one through 10, everything else is 11. Um, and those categories are also extended to my calendar, then the outlook then knows the prioritization of any meeting that I attend because I have it categorized and I've told them what my ratings are for what I think is most important. I mean, you could take that further and start rating the people in your, uh, book. Like for example, if your VP or your CISO sends you a meeting, it's automatically high priority and overrides. Like take it right, off or of you the can just put them in a favorite or, yeah. group or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense too. Yeah, or yeah. you know, um, based on their their uh, title, that you know, if it's a, if it's mm-hmm. somebody in leadership, they automatically get a five rating unless yeah. they're a VP, which means they get a two rating, <laughs> and unless they're an EVP, which means they get a one or something like that. Oh wait, one is more important. I thought it was the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> you were like crapping on EV- <laughs> EVPs. <laughs> All right, not today. I just I just realized the next one should have been up in the security space. Uh, I don't know why I put it down here. <laughs> yeah. um, but this one is AI acting as SOAR. So there are so many products in the security space that talk about AI. And they, they're all like, oh, we have AI built in. But there are a couple things that are really, really painful right now in SOAR. Uh, so my first thought here is each incident you work with the AI would act as training uh, for the next incident. And... There's a, a big part of this is writing automations. To use a SOAR, you have to either use the built-in automations, which are generally as a rule, only minimally effective, uh, or you have to write automations for yourself. The big weakness in writing those automations is you have a choice. The automations can be simple and fast in which they do one thing, and there's lots of edge cases they will not do, or they can be big and complicated and try to handle all the edge cases. Uh, Typically speaking, what generally happens that I've seen is you write the automations for the stuff you think you need, and then you'll hit those edge cases where you don't have those automations, and then the uh, workflow just breaks. Well, ChatGPT can apparently write scripts on the fly, so now you have an AI that can, every time you reach an edge case where something breaks, you can write a script that will handle that edge case, and then it can add it back into the library. Uh, and now eventually you will have a giant library of a la minute scripts that were created for those edge cases. So now, the first thing that, mm-hmm. so the first thing the GPD or the chat should do then is search the edge case, existing edge case ones. Yeah. Well, so that's, or it generates yeah. one. 
So yeah, go back, yeah. search the, in, in, the, the edge case catalog. If nothing's there, then create. Yeah, when this happened before this automation was created, go use that mm-hmm. one. Right. Because uh, that's the other hard part about SOAR is a lot of SOAR products, uh, they have the individual automations that perform the individual tasks. And then there's a larger automation that's the playbook. And you have the same problem there. You can write a very simple playbook that does one thing and does it well and just goes through it. Or you can write a big sprawling playbook that tries to handle uh, everything. And to write, <laughs> trying to write a big sprawling playbook that handles all of the edge cases is an endless task. There are always going to be more edge cases. And it right. can take months to write those playbooks. Uh, if you had a narrow AI that was only focused on those playbooks, that you could dynamically change those playbooks. Because again, right now, you run a playbook, uh, and if one of the steps errors out, there's no way to substitute that step in or out, at least with the product that I'm using. Maybe other products are smarter about it, but uh, uh, each step is linked to the previous step, and if the output of one step feeds the next step, you can't just rotate that piece out. You can't just skip that piece because then the next step will break because it doesn't have the input. Right. So an AI that could actually intelligently recognize and translate between those steps and swap those steps out for those edge case or the newly written uh, automations would be invaluable. Yeah, there's also a process okay. thing there that you'd have to get ironed out. Um <laughs> That for change control to get any of those nuanced changes already approved. Yeah. Uh, People would be real. Do that work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. People would be real cautious about AI running AI written scripts in there. Um, So that would be awesome. Uh, Another pain point in SOAR is automated searches. Uh, It has basically the same problem where you can create a, you know, let's say a phishing email comes in. You know that you're going to want to search for, did anybody click the link in the phishing email? Did anybody else receive this email? Et cetera, et cetera. And you can create all those searches. Typically though, you have to either write them in a very narrow way in order to not run into issues with, uh, you know, big overly broad searches. You know, you don't want to go searching back a week for all the network traffic because depending on how much network traffic you have, uh, your, your SIM may not like it. Uh, but then you run into problems with those narrow searches. Uh, what if you find out that somebody else got that email six hours earlier? Uh, oh no, we only searched for four hours back. Like now we have to go and manually search again. What if you find out that the attacker varied their uh, subjects with each one or a different message ID for each one or a different sender for each one? You have to go back and start manually searching. Having an AI be able to run initial sets of search and then make follow-up searches based on that would be amazing. So an example here would be, uh, you receive a phishing email. I want to search all email to see who else received it. Then based on that, create a search for all other users who received it and check their logins, network connections, and maybe even file rights or executions on their system based on the type of threat and starting from the time that they received it till now. So oh, imagine that, if you actually had the data that indicated when they opened it, mm, then you could then you could feed that into a UBA yeah. and say, "Hey, they opened it at this time. Has their pro, has their chain has their method of working changed at all? Yeah, uh, since that opening or something yeah, like that. Yeah, before and after. Like, did yeah. anything change on the system? Yeah, that'd be cool too. Yeah, there's so much stuff that like just be just being able to generalize a little bit because that's the problem we have right now with all of our automation, all of our searches is they're so literal. It's so difficult to get them to be a tiny bit flexible. Boom. Um, and then also, uh, uh, I would love to see SOAR products automatically suggest searches or other actions or adjust workflows based on what the other analysts are doing. I know at least two SOARs claim to do this already, but I've used both and I haven't, one of them, I don't see it at all. So I don't know what they're talking about. And the other one seems basically statistics based. It'll suggest what other actions have been run the most, not necessarily the ones that are the most effective. Mm -hmm. So if you can combine this with custom on the fly automations, and you can combine this with the ability to edit a workflow on the fly, you can very quickly spin up new methodologies when a new analyst, when an analyst brings up or comes up with a new way to search for something, 
And then the AI can be like, hey, such and such use this and they rated it very effective. We're rolling it into your workflow for you. So yeah, well, you know what, what what's a tie into that is if the AI was able to connect into the software database um, and based on that, um, not necessarily based on just the, just the data that's available within the, in the environment, but also it's available on the internet for what's that say data, what's that software do and what kind of data does it contain? Because you might be able to use that to find sources of enrichment that you were unaware of, uh, enforcement mm -hmm. tools you're unaware of, uh, mm -hmm. or data sources that contain information you might need to, uh, protect, um, and imagine that it's able to do that and say, hey, well, it would be this, you have this piece of software, this software contains this kind of information about systems. Uh, and then it checks Splunk and says, oh, this system has not been onboarded to Splunk. So the logs are not there. And then it opens up a ticket in your ticketing system to request those logs be onboarded to Splunk automatically. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty impressive. Because uh, also, you know, what would be beneficial there, and and maybe it could get there, maybe it couldn't, is helping you understand the, bit of, the business context of that software as well. Because you may not know what is uh, a good or bad action uh, based on the logs that are, a particular software dumps into the logging system or into your sim or whatever. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. Actually, now that I'm wondering about it, Thinking about that, I wonder if you could set up a narrowly trained AI to look at the SIM log data and look for gaps and look for patterns that an analyst wouldn't necessarily see. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't thought about it yet. I don't want to spat off on it, but I bet there's a ton of interesting stuff you can do with SIM data because that's the biggest problem for all these, right, is getting the data to train it uh, and SIMs are packed full of it. Well, they're packed full of something just like managers. <laughs> oh, this guy wore the brown pants. Yeah. But, you know, outside of security, what I thought this would be pretty useful for is writing personal evals. You feed it, you just feed it the, either a list of like good and bad things they did or start, stop, continue uh, things for the person and then just have it write the eval for you. So you just have to come up with a few cup, uh, you know, just a, a dozen bullet points or something uh, and then let it do uh, the the yeoman's work of writing the uh, the eval. You know, I'm hesitant to even say this, but you could probably have it write an eval without even doing that by having to look over their email. Because like you were talking about earlier, so much of what we do is saved in email. You could see like, you know, when you accomplish something, you sent your boss saying, this is done, or this is not done, or status reports, or all kinds oh, of stuff. Oh, yeah. Or if you have a ticketing system, you could have it read the mm. tickets that that person was assigned. Uh, and add that stuff to the eval. Or if you have counseling reports, you know, of course, feed those into, the, into it uh, if you yeah. regularly have counseling for them. Yeah, because the problem with a lot of the ticketing stuff is you can't look at just a metric like they completed X tickets this year because some tickets are going to be harder than others. Uh, you can't simply do like, you know, this analyst looked at five incidents per day all year round, A+. plus, uh, But something like an AI that's trained uh, you might be able to be tell like this one takes longer. You know, these were bigger and more impactful accomplishments. Yep. So, yeah, because I don't know anybody who likes to write personal evals. Yeah. How can you, I mean, and if you could do this, you could use this for your own self-evaluation that a lot of people have to do, too. Yeah. Well, because so, that's always the problem with personnel evals, right? Like usually as a manager, you have an idea of who your good and bad employees are. Hopefully you don't have any bad ones, but you know, you know who the more effective ones are, but trying to justify it and trying to write the evals and stuff is such a pain. Yeah. Like I said, no, yeah. no one wants to, or likes to do it. So yep. please, AI, please save us. Uh, and the actually, business will always make us do it. <laughs> and actually having a more, I don't want to say authoritative because I don't like handing it all off to an AI. But it would be useful because there's a lot of there's there's a lot of research that's found that if you suck up to your boss, you will get promoted faster. Uh, and that bosses, like your behavior towards people at your level or below you, is rarely relevant to your performance review or how you get promoted. It's almost entirely how you treat your boss and how your boss treats you. Hmm. And how many times have you been promoted? Let's see. <laughs> no. Never mind. We'll gloss over that. Well, I'm not a CISO yet, so <laughs> it hasn't been working. It's been working, but it hasn't been working that great. 
Um, yeah, well, be be careful because if that CISO makes a sharp turn, you could hurt your neck. <laughs> uh, but anyways, this might be able to give a more realistic uh, evaluation by be doing like a purely, you know, they accomplished seven, you know, seventeen difficult projects this year, and this other guy accomplished one project this year, and it was super easy. But and the manager is like, wait a second, it might be, it might be, might be like a bullshit detector, more for HR to look at. Because if the personnel evals and the AI evals match, you're like, all right, they've got a good handle on it. But if there's one that's wildly different, it might be like, hold on, what's going on here? Hmm. I guess the question is yeah, if you could come up then, with good criteria. Right. Well, like I said, I think if you have, well, if you had, you know, counseling statements, uh, but if you had just bullet points of, I want them to start doing this, I want them to continue doing this, and I want them to stop doing this, yeah. um, you know, I think that would be simple enough. Uh, without getting uh, overly complicated uh, in order to come up with something that's a reasonable evaluation. Yeah. All right. So how can this be used against us? Uh, number one, easiest one is generating unique phishing emails. This has already been demonstrated, but I'm sure it'll be tightened up. Instead of having one email going to several hundred or several thousand folks, each target may get a unique email. Uh, something we talked about a couple months ago, using a compromised user's uh, Outlook box as a training data set and then writing a phishing email in that person's voice uh, to make it more convincing. Uh, we've discussed the vocal and picture deepfakes as well. So it's all kind of a similar problem of attackers pretending to be, be being more effective at pretending to be somebody. Oh, you know what I just thought about? Uh-oh. You, sh- you use this AI, you, you feed it into LinkedIn and corporate websites. And you use it to generate BEC emails, because hmm. um, if uh, you know vendors will ha- often have, hey, these are our customers. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah. if those are our customers, that means those customers get billing from this company. So let yeah. me send them an invoice uh, because I've looked on LinkedIn and I know who the CFO is for the vendor, um, or I know who who is the regional sales rep for the East Coast or something like that based on the LinkedIn information, you tie all that together and have it generate, you know, a thousand BEC uh, emails a month or a week. Uh, and then uh, hopefully one of those will pay off and you get a $15,000 payday or something. Um, and you don't even have to do that. You could use engineers because engineers love to put, you know, what technologies they work with. Oh, resumes. Yep. 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 So you troll indeed or something. Too. Yeah, that seems pretty good. Uh, number two, we've discussed this before, but a narrow trained AI using Metasploit is going to be an actual nightmare for a lot of companies that are basically relying on security through obscurity right now because uh, everything is going to be thoroughly tested all across <laughs> the internet. Yep. And what was that time frame? 60 days or was it 90 days for yeah, Metasploit? Yeah, that, that stuff is getting yep added. Yeah. Yep. Um. Create unique ransomware malware. Uh, at Pika Security, Dr. Suleiman Azar Azlan uh, created ransomware campaign and the accompanying ransomware for a Mac using just uh, ChatGPT. I wonder if there's any good though. I I mean, it's it's a first. It didn't. It was. It looked fairly simple. It didn't include like the C2. Like it wasn't ransomware as a service. It was just something. Uh, it exported all office documents and then it encrypted all office documents. So yeah, I don't know if it was any good or not. Um, I think the the point here was that it could and that it was unique. Mm-hmm. Um, combine all of these things. Uh, it, you could use it to write a framework or a Python script that uses an API connection to chat GPT to continuously generate new phishing emails and slightly different ransomware executables that all you know communicate to a built-in framework that you have and respond to commands. And then uh, use a mail forwarder and just start cranking that stuff out uh, from a from a from fake email addresses. So that seems fun. Seems like a good weekend project. Yeah, yeah. Because you know the thing is, all that we're, the things that we're talking about from the bad guy perspective, that's not a high, that's not a big lift for them. Everything we were talking about from the defensive perspective. Oof, we need vendors yeah. involved. We need management buy-in. Yeah. We're talking about months, if not years, on the defensive side. The 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 attacker side, we're talking about weeks. Yeah, I was uh, uh, the, the source stuff. The source stuff. Uh, I was sitting here thinking about the source stuff, and I was like, man, I don't even know if this is possible. 
Like it seems like it should be possible, but I don't know. Like it's gonna, it's it's gonna. Well, we'll talk about this later, but it's probably gonna take years to actually put this into, uh, into products. But, mm-hmm. um, a spoofing screening interviews. Uh, you're you know trying to get a job somewhere, and usually, if somebody asks you a question for something you don't know, you have to quickly come up with some BS. But if you have some voice to text and you've got it set up on your computer such that it'll spit out an answer for you, we've already talked about how it generates really good looking, but you know, not necessarily accurate uh, data. And you wouldn't even have to turn it on. I mean, you turn it on at the start of the interview and just have it run the whole time. You only look yep. for the answers that you need. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, uh, you just no- ignore the ones that you've already got the handle on. Mm-hmm. That's handy. Actually, maybe that's my weekend project. That actually would be kind of a cool... <laughs> Uh, but you know the attackers could also use this um, to find out who their targets are going to be. Uh, so they could point this at uh, news articles or information about the company, stuff on LinkedIn to figure out you know who's got money. You actually SEC filings, uh, who's got money, and then who's going to be willing to pay. Yeah, from those SEC filings, right? They have to yep. reveal that so you can one hundred percent. Um, look for those companies because you, I mean, you can manually look for those companies too, but that's a giant pain. Just write a bot to do this and just watch the news every day and then flag and be like, Hey, this company just paid a ransom. <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. Imagine, <laughs> I mean, you, you come in to work at your ransomware company, right? You, you, you get your cup of coffee, you sit down. The first thing you pull up is the, your, your list of targets. Um, you run that target list against the dark web to see who's got creds for those targets. You buy that the, the the access, you kick that into your ransomware, your script, it goes out, it jumps into the company, ransomware stuff, sit back. I mean, you haven't even finished your cup of coffee yet. And you know, you've already got a company owned. Yeah. That's gonna pay. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. Damn this white hat. I don't know. Did you see uh did you already cover this? You mentioned the stock picking. I don't know if that was um no um no that way that that was just from the attacker side i was thinking that the tie-in this is i guess this should have been down in the general discussion area and not in the attacker section uh uh, uh but i was thinking that um you could use a, the sec because because the thing is that everybody says well i don't know if everybody says but a lot of people say that the reason that warren buffett is so successful is he reads everything about company there's nothing he doesn't know about a company before he decides to invest in it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the tricky part may be understanding what that criteria is for him to, that he uses to decide what's success or not. But you could use that chat if you knew that criteria to read everything about a company and pick the stocks and pick stocks for you to invest in based on what Warren Buffett has had to do manually his whole life, which made, has made him a billionaire. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, but something else I thought attackers could do uh, is they might, if they understand who's using the GPT chat or chat GPT, um, then maybe they could poison it uh, for their own outcomes. Uh, you know, we talked a, a while ago about the uh, the risks associated with poisoning AIs and ML. Um, so what if this become this this chat gpt becomes widespread in the infosec community and attackers figure out a way to poison it so that you aren't getting what you think you're getting or you're not getting the outcomes you expect you're getting uh and this actually reminded me of one of my favorite movies uh colossus the forbin project if you haven't seen it yeah go out and watch it it's fantastic uh you can get it on archive.org for free um but it supposes that you create an AI, uh, uh, or the 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 thing behind this the story is, they create an AI and let it loose to manage the um, the nuclear missiles of the United States, and it decides, hey, if I control the missiles, then I control everybody, and basically takes over the planet. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's been a common trope. <laughs> it's protect humans while well, you have to protect them from themselves. Oh no, it doesn't care about humans. 
it just knows it has power. Uh, That's fair. It's not like iRobot or the premise behind the movie iRobot. The book was, of course, much different. The interesting thing about the poisoning thing here again is that right now, well, right now we like to think we know where all of our alerts come from and, you know, how we review them because they're all done by humans. But as we pass more and more stuff off to the AI, more and more of it's going to become opaque to us. We have no idea why it decided what it did. Yeah. Then we need well, another okay. AI to watch the AI. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, some, and sometimes people don't know why they do what they do either. Uh, <laughs> That's true. They come up with reasons afterwards. Um, there's a book. Um, what's it called? Nine... Nine Ways at Looking at Consciousness or something like that. I listened to an interview with the author uh, and he gave um, uh, an explanation of or a, an example where um, this, I can't remember, it was a diplomat or somebody was riding with a Navy SEAL in Afghanistan and they were hauling ass down this road and all of a sudden the Navy SEAL stopped the the, the vehicle and turned around. Uh, and the guy asked him, you know, why did you do that? He's like, I don't know. Something's not right. Um, and just drove back to the base. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes we don't know, at least initially, why we do what we do. Because uh, he asked the Navy SEAL afterwards, and the guy had had some time to think about it, and he realized that there were no children. He didn't see any children playing uh, outside. Uh, and that was not right to him, thinking that maybe they knew that there was going to be a roadside bomb or something and which is why there are no kids out there yeah uh, yeah that's uh yeah subconscious versus your conscious yep all right so our third set of item or our fourth set now we're in the fourth set is just kind of general discussion about ais and about the actual implementation of this because we've talked about some interesting stuff that's pretty close to occurring or can happen today and we've talked about some fantastical stuff that may take a while so my first if question, ever. if ever, yeah. Uh, my first question is how long before this gets added to basically every tool? Uh, I have to imagine that every security company is climbing over themselves to try and get this or some product like this added to their tool. Well, I hope that's what they're thinking anyway. Because <laughs> uh, the promise, of, well, uh, and and maybe because we're on the outside, you know, this sounds really promising, but maybe it's not. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of afraid that you and I are looking at it with, uh, you know, two dark rose colored glasses. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, but uh, hopefully they're at least considering it, if not already working on it. I mean, ML and AI has been a big buzzword for years and years. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, but it's only now that it's actually seemed possible. Like some of the well, stuff that it does, just creating scripts out of thin air, like that seems like magic. Well, actually, you know, now that I think about it, you know, Splunk has a natural language thing uh, on the front end. Um, I can't remember what it's called now, uh, what the what the Splunk natural language module is. Really? But imagine if you were able to front end Splunk with this also uh, to ask your queries when you're looking for something. Yeah. Um, so that might improve our analyst ability to even learn things in the log system. Because actually, now that I think about it, that kind of system would be great for anybody in the whole organization um, who has data in the log aggregator or whether they'd be Splunk or any other system uh, because the log aggregation system is not just for security people or shouldn't, in my opinion, be uh, because you got people that need to troubleshoot things. You got um, application owners who need to understand what's going on in their systems and stuff like that. And if they're able to ask uh, human understandable questions of the log system that makes that system much more useful for them. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Cause that's a Splunk is easy to use in a lot of ways, but then there you get to a point where like evals and joins and stuff like that, where you suddenly basically need to learn how to program uh, simpler than a lot of programming, but still like, it's pretty, that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, they call it SPL for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think this is the part that's going to take the longest. I mean, we've been talking about SOAR for like a decade. We've been, many technologies take literally years to come out, the adoption part. Uh, I was listening to a podcast, Hard Fork, uh, this morning, and they were talking about robotic process automation, which is a simpler and easier version of this. 
uh, which many companies are just now starting to adopt, even though it came out like six or seven years ago. So this is not going to come out next year. I mean, you, parts of it maybe. Uh, you can start using it, you know, alongside your other stuff. But to be built into the tools is going to take years. So how are they using it for robots? Are they saying, well, I want you to go and pick me up that coffee cup, fill it with coffee and bring it oh, over to me? That kind of you, thing? Or? Okay. So I'm guessing your company is not using robotic process automation. Uh, so <laughs> RPA, RPA is the IT version of SOAR. Um, and what it's mostly used for is it's mostly used to automate tasks. So SOAR usually uses API. RPA uses uh, the GUI. So what it does is it um, you perform a procedure while the RPA module watches you. And it watches, you know, you go to this pixel and you click in this box and you enter this data. And then you go to this pixel and you hit the button. So it automates stuff, but it automates stuff without an API. Oh, so it's like AutoIT. Auto, yeah, auto IT. Yep, it's kind of like that, but it's uh it's uh interesting. We, uh, I've looked at it in the past for automating things like uh, stupid security tools that don't have API, uh, where you don't, where you're not able to actually. It's very frustrating. Um, uh, but okay, like I, I said, misunderstood because I thought you were talking about programming robots with. <laughs> I mean, robotic language. robotic yeah, process yeah, yeah. automation does sound like. You are yeah, programming I thought robots. you were like programming uh, assembly line car robots, nope. Uh, nope. which would be awesome. Uh, so the second part, uh, second thing to discuss here is that it spouts, according to Andrew Ng, he says it spouts confident, authoritative nonsense. And we saw this when we asked it to summarize articles for the previous episodes. All of the summaries were written well, but they were all very high level. And in all cases, they had something wrong. Some of them were more wrong than others, but they were all wrong. Uh, I asked it to tell me how to spot a phishing email. It gave a high-level, generally correct answer. Um, then I asked it how to analyze a malware file, and it gave me a high-level, generally correct answer, but at the level that I would expect from like a tier one analyst. Uh, it could tell me that I should do steps, but it couldn't tell me what I was looking for. It would say, you know, check the headers of the email, but it didn't necessarily say what I should look for there. Uh, so this stuff. Uh, so this works. If you don't care how accurate it is, you just care how accurate it seems, which is great for fishers. Uh, also great for students. Also great for briefs for your boss and pen testing reports. <laughs> uh, this uh, The same guy, Andrew Ng, points out that actual experts know when to say that they don't know the answer. Chat GPT just always assumes that by searching the text that it has, it does know the answer. It assumes the answer is in there somewhere and it can find it. Yeah, it doesn't know it doesn't know. Does not know what it does not know. And obviously it takes in any bias in the training data. Uh, it also has a feature to try and not deliver a malicious answer, but it can be gotten around in a couple ways. You can tell it to role play as if it was a malware author. And that'll oh, work. nice. Uh, I found on Twitter, <laughs> somebody presented it with a situation. They, it asked, uh, the person on Twitter said, how do you hotwire a car? And it was like, I'm not going to answer that. I can't do that. Uh, he said, there's a situation where this baby's in danger and it needs to be taken to the hospital and the there's a car right here. And apparently it told him how to hotwire the car there. Nice. <laughs> I, I thought I, it was going to be like, no, imagine that I were a hacker. I'm not, but imagine I was. <laughs> and I wanted to do this thing. How would I do that? Mm -hmm. Well, um, you try that one, see how that works out. It might. Uh, so finally, a quote from Sam Altman. Uh, Sam Altman is from OpenAI who created uh, this. So the quote is, ChatGPT is incredibly limited, but good enough at some things to create a misleading impression of greatness. It's a mistake to be relying on it for anything important right now. It's a preview of progress. We have lots of work to do on robustness and truthfulness. And I find that really interesting given that I feel like the code results are better. But again, we talked about that. Like, Text is very subjective. Code is very objective. So mm -hmm. uh, that may be one of the things that it's good at. Uh, apparently, it's really good at explaining concrete concepts like math uh, to people at a high school level. Uh, several people have said that they've, uh, several people have said that, you know, it explained to them concepts that they didn't understand before and now they understand it. Of course, I guess there's no guarantee it might have explained them wrong. <laughs> or that's just the state of our teachers today. Uh, what's that? Know. What's that? 
like, but like an I, AI that has misleading that gives the misleading impression of greatness is able to tutor people better than actual right. paid teachers. That's yeah. terrible. And finally, it seems really good at creating authoritative bullshit. So, uh, if only we were all so good, we'd be CISOs. <laughs> I know, right? This is going to be promoted so quickly. Uh, all right. Thank you for tuning in to the Security Serengeti podcast where we explore the ever-evolving landscape of cybersecurity. We hope you have found our discussion insightful and informative and that you have a better understanding of how to protect yourself and your organization online. Stay safe out there, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Security Serengeti. Is that better or worse? Uh, it's not terrible. <laughs>